Good morning, everybody. Glad to see your sunshiny faces today. <clears throat> you don't have to say I'm also glad to see your sunshine. It'd be kind of weird at that point. Uh, we are in the book of Exodus, of course, and we are in chapter 25. Let's cover this in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, Lord God. Uh, this is your book. Uh, this is, Lord, the manna. Uh, that you've given us, Lord, our daily bread for today, Father, uh, for all days, Lord, all the days of our lives. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us our daily portion today, Father. Uh, Every single person in here today, Father, um, has a a special need, Father, or a desire of their hearts, Lord, or or some um, pain, Lord, or some, some point in their life, something in their life, Lord God, where they need a touch from your hand today, Lord. They may not even know it. Lord, but you know us intimately. You know every single part of who we are, Father, from our innermost parts, Lord. You know more about ourselves than we know about ourselves, Lord. Uh, And we ask, Father, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit through your word today to each one of us, Lord, and that each person would receive something from you today, Father, an encouragement, uh, Lord, an exhortation, whatever it may be, Father. We pray that you would have your way among us today, Lord, in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Exodus chapter 25. Oh, thank you. I told Patrick beforehand, I'm going to forget, so remind me. And he said, I'll go you who. So there it is. Um, <clears throat> this is where I, my, usually I do my kids don't do drug speech, but you've all heard it before. Um, new hope, uh, pregnancy crisis, new home family, family services. Uh, is an organization that's been, how long has it been around, guys? 50 years. Uh, And they offer just exactly that. They offer hope to uh, young women who find themselves pregnant and not knowing what to do. Um, And it has become an alternative uh, to abortion. Um, They not only counsel young women and and, uh, talk to them about the Lord, but they also offer adoption services for for people who are looking to adopt so that the the babies that are are born to these women are placed with, with loving homes. Uh, but also it's a, biblical, a biblically-based organization, uh, and so they take a stand on what the Bible says. And so when they are looking for a place to put a child, uh, they have been unwilling to put them in homes, uh, the homes of same-sex couples, uh, which, as you know, is tantamount to a hate crime, right, in our society. Has anyone been paying attention? Okay. So now New York State wants to shut them down. Okay, so um, you can murder babies. No problem. No problem. You can murder babies. But God forbid you put them in a home where they teach the Bible without compromise. That is what's wrong. That's the thing that's offensive. That's the thing uh, that is causing anger and rage in, in the hearts of, of people. Now, I, 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 let, me, let me footnote that, okay? Because immediately your hearts are like, honey, get my gun, will you? We're going to take a trip down to Capital City, you know. No, 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 no. Jesus said, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I go into full-on rage uh, when it comes to, you hurt my kids? That's a wrap for you. Sorry. That's a wrap. Um, the idea that, that babies are something to be thrown away, um, that that would even be something to be comp- contemplated in our society, that's Canaan. That's Canaan. 
Uh, and so you ought to be righteously indignant. You ought to be righteously indignant. But what does the Bible say? Be angry and what? And sin not. Sin not. And vengeance belongs to who? Exactly. So we treat uh, this situation the same way we treat any other situation in which it is inhabited by people who do not know Jesus Christ uh, or, or who hate Jesus Christ. We love them. Uh, and we pray for them. I hope you pray for, for Governor Cuomo every single day. And not like that country music song. You know, I pray for you every day. Pray that you fall down the stairs. Pray that you... No. But seriously, that's what the Scripture commands us. The Scripture commands us to pray for our leaders. Our kingdom, like Jesus Christ, He's our head. He is our, he is our spiritual groomsman, isn't He? He's our husband. We have been betrothed to Him. We belong to Him and our hearts belong to Him. Our, our single job that we've been given, speak out and vote where you can and exercise your rights, 110%, yes. But His kingdom is not of this world. And the job that we have to do is to show people the love of Christ. To show people the love of Christ. Do you understand that we are looking at the landscape of a world without hope? Without purpose. And our kids are being raised and taught that there is zero reason for them to be here. They are 100% a mistake of, crea of, of, of creation. A mistake there's no mistake of creation, is there? A mistake of evolution, a mistake of nature. It just so happens that you're here. So there is no moral absolute. Uh, and therefore, the Word of God and the Ten Commandments and all the things that our founding fathers believed in, not to say that they were all like born-again Christians having a Bible study in, uh, you know, up in the White House, but this country, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States of America was was founded upon Judeo-Christian uh, morality, okay? It was, was our nation a bunch of born-again disciples of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Uh, and there has been wickedness and there has been darkness in this country as long as it's been in the world. But there was something that was there that was a guiding light. And that has been now abandoned. That has been now abandoned. Uh, and just as you see all over the world, and the scripture talks about this, a nation who knows God and understands God, like Romans chapter 1 talks about, and then rejects God and casts God out of the society. Well, in youth group, we're going through, through the book of Judges. Any of you who've read through the book of Judges, you understand how that went for the Israelites. Uh, God will not go someplace he's not wanted in the present church age, you understand? During the kingdom years, he goes where he wants to go, all right? But in the present church age, we're operating under God's grace and under the gospel, the premises of the gospel. God will not go where he's not invited. But we cannot expect as individuals, as families, or as a church, or as a government, not allow the truth of God and His Word and His truth, not allow that into our presence, into our hearts, into our lives, into our decision-making, into our worship, into our relationships, into all that we have, and expect to find His blessing there. He would not be a good, good father. And He would not be true to His Word if He honored disobedience. 
He loves. His grace, his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness endures forever. And when we are faithless, we are promised that he remains faithful. Why? Because he's made us a part of his family. And the scripture says he cannot deny himself. But God's favor and blessing cannot go where disobedience abounds. That's the discipline that we talk about, Christian, about being disciplined by God. God's not standing up there going, go ahead, I dare you, make a move, make a move, you know. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. He simply is not going to bless me in an area of my life where I'm not being obedient to him. Now, the tricky part is because of the, 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 the society and the time and, and day that we live in, you know, like, like David, when he's in the Psalms and he's imploring God, why do the wicked prosper? God, why do the wicked prosper? And we live in a time and we live in a nation where it's possible to be wicked and disobedient to God and still prosper. And what's worse than that, we live in a nation and a society where it's possible to claim Jesus Christ and be disobedient to his word and still prosper. But there's a difference between prospering in this world and having the blessing of God abiding in your life. That's where the peace that passes understanding resides. That's where the blessing of God lives. Because all the joys and all the, the, in, the, the pleasures of this world are fleeting and are passing. They don't last forever. But the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ is forever. It endures forever. We need to live under his blessing. So, understand the times that you're living in. We are in the last days. The last days. And we've been in the last days since Jesus died, okay? That theologically, that's how that works, right? The founding fathers of the church, right? The early church fathers, they were expecting his appearance every day. The early church thought Nero surely was the Antichrist, okay? We are supposed to, we are implored to, we are, we are expected by God's word to live in a continual longing, a state of longing and hope for his appearing. So that day will not take us by surprise. Remember Jesus talking about the, that day coming like a thief. At an hour in which you think not. And the Bible says that we are not children of darkness. We are children of the light. And so that day ought not to overtake us like a thief. We ought not to be surprised. When that trumpet sounds, we shouldn't be diving under a rock. <laughs> when that trumpet sounds, you should be like, oh, can you imagine? You wackos. Look what you believe. Look what you believe in. We're going to disappear, you know. I believe. I believe in God. I believe in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe that he is the king of the universe. That in a spoken word, he threw this existence, this universe into being. You know, think of understanding that God or believing in that God and then questioning any aspect of what his word says that he is. It's silly. It's silly if you believe in God. In the nature of who he is, just that word, God. If you believe in God, but I don't think it was a literal six days. That just doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. 
It doesn't have to make sense. You know what doesn't make sense? I'm saved. That don't make sense. I don't deserve the blessing of God. I don't deserve eternal life. But I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. He calls things that are not as though they are. Because He's God and He can stop the sun. And He can walk on the water. And He can cause the earth to open up. And He can do whatever He wants to do. I believe but we live in a world, they've lost their compass. There's no guiding light. And so where do they go? You have to believe in something. You people have an innate desire within them to have something that they stand for. And so they cling to whatever it is that they can grab onto. And then you see people acting crazy and going crazy over different things. And you wonder, what is wrong with that person? Well, you know in and of yourself that you could have easily have a tendency to go off the deep end in certain areas in your life, couldn't you? you can you see that in yourself? That there's certain things that you're just like, ah, you know, oh, you know, and you get all fired up like me with kids and stuff, and I get all ungodly, you know what I mean? And then I'll finish it up with in Jesus' name, you know what I mean? I, I, I would like to, in Jesus' name, you know. But no, no, I have to stop myself. I have to go, you're a violent, angry man. You know what I mean? And that is not the heart of Jesus. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's meek. He was lowly. His burden was light. His yoke was easy and is. He loved people. The most wicked of sinners. Jesus looked at them with compassion, with love in his heart. But his word endures forever. Now, um, Exodus chapter 25 starts out with God asking Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone, notice this, who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And then this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple. All of the things that they were going to need to build the tabernacle of meeting, the tent of meeting, and also the articles and components of the tabernacle is what God asks Moses to ask of the people. But you notice, God expressly and explicitly tells Moses to ask from them that which they are willing to give from their heart. What they're willing to give willingly. You know, God, God appears on Mount Sinai. The, the Bible says that the mountain trembled and there was a horn that blasted louder and louder from the glory of God. And it says that Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. And when God spoke, the people, you know, they were freaked out. They were scared to death. God could have said, give me your gold. And, you know what I mean? And they're throwing their gold, please don't kill me, you know. Literally. God says, no, 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 you understand? Now we're talking about the tabernacle. Now we're talking about the place where I'm going to come and I'm going to meet with them. And so it has to be from their heart. It has to be that which they are willing to give. It has to be the thing that they're like, this is for meeting with God. This is for peace with God. Take it. Take it. Take it. It has to be like that. 
Our service to God, our worship of God has to be like that. You know, we pass an offering plate around because it's kind of traditional. And some people get freaked out if you don't pass an offering plate, right? And this is me personally, and you, you know I'm a wacko, right? So you take this with a grain of salt. I hate the offering plates. I hate it. we got a box in the back, and you can throw a check in there, or you can throw some cash in there, because I don't want anyone to see me give. I take it seriously. When my dad brags on me, I'm like over in the corner like, oh, stop, stop. And it's not because I'm humble. My head is enormous, right? Not just physically, you know. I bought a new dirt bike helmet. I had to send it back because extra large ain't cutting it anymore. A 2XL. And then I'm like, and then Nikki's like, does it fit? Oh, yeah. It fits great. My cheeks are coming out of the thing. I'm a vain, prideful, arrogant man. But I believe God's word. And when Jesus says, hey, listen, chubs, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You do it in secret. You pray in secret. You worship me in secret. When you're fasting, you wash your face and you anoint your head with oil and you go out with joy and with thanksgiving so no one knows you're crucifying your flesh. And great is your reward in heaven. I want every gift that I give to be from my heart. I don't believe in anyone giving. Well, if nobody gives, the church will shut down. I, I got a job. You know, I mean, too bad about dad. But... <laughs> Off to the home he goes. No. <laughs> I, that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, you go too. I, no. You know, when we had the vote last week. I'm sorry. When we had the vote last week, whether or not you like guys, whether you like me, you really like me. And I'm, all I can think of is in my voice, this is how psychotic I am, okay? All I can hear in my head is Yosemite Sam. When he's trying to, to marry the widow with the money, <laughs> we marry the widow, we take the widow's money, and then we throw the widows out, you know. That's sweet. Anyway, everything, everything that you do, you understand? It's easy to say, we're free. We're free. Listen to me, look at me. You're free. You're free. You understand the level of freedom that no matter what's going on in your heart, no matter what you've been up to, what you've been involved with, the things in your life, the struggles, the strongholds, the sins that continue to come to the surface again and again and again, you walk through those doors. You say, God, I'm yours, and everything about me and everything that I am is yours, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Take it. Take everything. If more of you means less of me, take everything. God, all that I have and all of the darkness of my own heart, Lord, let it be laid bare before you. You see it, and you love me in spite of who I am. And he says, yes, I love you in spite of who you are, and you're forgiven for what you did this morning, for what you thought, for the road rage on your way to church, for heaven's sakes. Nate, no, I'm kidding. For the road rage, for whatever. That's freedom. That's freedom. You wonder how the, 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 the apostles could be going to their death, to the guillotine, to the cross, with rejoicing on their lips. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
People in the Colosseum there to watch Christians be burned to stakes and they would watch them and as they were roasting alive, they would lift up their arms and praise God for being counted worthy. And people would get, I want to be saved. And they'd come forward and they'd tie them to the stake. Whew, that's freedom. We have a poor, poor, misguided understanding of what freedom is. What does freedom mean? I can do whatever I want. No, no, that's not freedom. Satan is a liar. And he will tie you up while screaming, freedom. That's the way he works. So God says, ask, ask. I want to be the guy whose gold went on the ark. I want to be the guy whose gold went on like a table leg on the, on the, on the table of showbread or one of the little horns on the altar. I want to be a part of it. God says, you, you, and what you have, whatever that may be, no, how, no matter how, how big or how small, and you, who you are as a human being, you understand the great worth and the great value that you have to God. You are his treasure. When Jesus told the parable of the man who went into a field and there he found a treasure, and finding the treasure, he went and he sold everything that he had so that he could purchase the treasure and there, or the, the field and thereby purchase the treasure as well. And as a kid, I was always taught and I always learned that God's the treasure. And so we give everything that we have so we can purchase him. Purchase him? Hello, McFly. And then Chuck Smith. Calvary Chapel, and I began to listen to this man teach, and he brought that to light. You can purchase God now? You can give enough to earn God now? No, my friends. No, my friends. The field is the world, and Jesus is the man, and you are the treasure. And he gave everything, everything to purchase you, to purchase me. Wow. And so everything that we have, God, God, what can I do? God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. He's got some ministry for each and every one of you. Pray. Ask him, Lord, what would you have me do? Guys, it could be the simplest thing on earth. Understand God's economy. God's economy is not anything like ours. And God doesn't look at things at all the way that we do. When God asks anything, no matter how small it may be, and you say in your heart, it's yours, Lord. It's already yours. Heavens rejoice. And the reward that you have in Christ and God is great because of that obedience. He overpays and he over-rewards to the point of ridiculousness. Oh, this, is, this is all I have. Just this little, this little meager thing. And God goes, oh, my child, thank you. That's of such great worth and value to me. You see? Whew, what a treasure we have. What privilege that we have in Christ Jesus. 
So God says to Moses, ask. Now, uh, if we go down to, we're going to start talking a little bit about the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony, rather. Uh, and it says in verse 10 of chapter 25, They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and out you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold." You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you, which were going to be the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. In other words, you didn't bolt them on afterwards. Okay? It was all what can you imagine? The craftsmanship here? The craftsmanship that would be involved in this? I mean, this is a pretty fair, uh, might kind of hard to see, a pretty fair rendition. You've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You know what the Ark looks like. That's pretty, pretty close. It's a pretty fair rendition of what the Ark looks like. Now, what Raiders of the Lost Ark makes the Ark out to be ain't even close. Okay? Do you know what the Ark is, Jones? It's a communicator, a speaking device for talking to God, you know. Whoa. And then at the end, they open it, and it's like, oh, and all of a sudden, the ghost goes, you remember? And they melt. Wah. I love, sorry, that's a good movie. One of, the, uh, one of my favorite parts in the Bible, I think, it's, it's, uh, I think it's Josiah, when he becomes king, and he's bringing the people back to the word. And he's bringing people back to the law and back in a re- right relationship with God. And the, the brass serpent, we're not there yet, but before they entered into the, into the promised land, the people were grumbling and complaining against God and against Moses. And God sent fiery serpents among them to bite and, and poison the people, right? And they're dropping like flies. And they cry out to Moses, and Moses in turn cries out to God, and God instructs Moses to make a pole, a brass pole with a serpent wrapped around it. So that if the people would look to the brass pole, they would be saved. They would not die from the, from the bite of the, of the, of the serpents. Uh, and of course, brass is symbolically the metal of judgment. It's the metal of judgment. And a serpent, of course, is a symbol for us of sin, of sin. Jesus Christ was hung on a cross, was hung on a tree, and the Bible says that he became sin. He became sin. Interesting that God would tell them to fashion such a thing as that, and when they looked at it, they would be saved. Well, they took that down, and they kept it 
for all the years after that. And then, of course, guess what, guess what began to happen, guys? They began to worship it. They began to venerate this brass pole with a serpent on it. Now they're bowing down to the snake. And so I believe it was Josiah, when he becomes king, he takes that and he smashes it. Boom! He breaks it and he yells, Nahushtan, which means it's a thing of brass. It's a thing of brass. All of the power, all of the, of the, of the glory is in him. It's not in a building. It's not in instruments. It's not in stained glass. It's not in bells. It's, it's, not, in, it's not in the fancy uh, decor or the size or the magnitude of the place that we worship in. It's nothing. Nahushtan. Next time you go and visit a relative and you go to the, that big old church... When you walk in, as soon as you get in there, I want you to scream at the top of your lungs. Nehushtan! <laughs> They'd be like, oh, somebody call the authorities. And <laughs> My pastor said, <laughs> pastor said, Nehushtan. It's a thing of gold, right? But the symbolism, the symbolism behind it is amazing. Now, uh, just some facts and figures. The ark is made out of acacia wood. Now, when it says cubit, a, a, a cubit is uh, the length between your middle finger and your elbow. It's approximately 18 inches, okay? Um, so the ark would have been approximately 3 foot 9 inches long, 2 feet 3 inches wide, and 2 foot 3 inches high. It's not that big of a chest. It's not that big. Now, listen, this part's crazy. It's overlaid with pure gold inside and out, and it's got a crown of gold around the top edge and a ring on each corner with the poles of acacia wood overlaid with gold. The mercy seat itself is pure gold. Remember that. It's no acacia wood. It is pure gold, 100% gold, with the cherubim on either end of hammered gold, all of it being one continuous work. If this mercy seat was an inch thick, it would have weighed 700 pounds. 700 pounds. That's incredible. Um, and, of course, you have the, the cherubim with their wings spreading over the mercy seat. And within the mercy seat, the tablets of the law. Okay? Now, let's check this out. Okay? Here you have... The Ten Commandments, the laws written on stone, which the Bible says about the law is what? Contrary to us. The writing of commandments that was against us because it's contrary to us. Why? Because we cannot keep it. Because we cannot keep it. And so within the chest, within the ark of promise, of testimony, are these Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ said, I have not come to abolish the law, right? I've come to fulfill the law. And that doesn't mean so that we can start keeping the law. What that means is Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law in that he lived the law out perfectly and he died for the fact that we cannot live the law out perfectly. And so therefore we stand condemned. So the law has gone nowhere. The law has not passed away. Not one jot or tittle will ever pass away, right? Until all things have been completed. All things have been accomplished in God. And so the law remains. And yet, on top of this chest goes the mercy seat. 
And it's a picture of the throne of God where the cherubim are with their wings outstretched. And once a year, when the high priest would make the sacrifice for the people, he would go into the most holy place and he would take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And Christian, if you're paying attention, you start going, wow, what a picture of Jesus Christ. That he came and he became, of course, just that word ark. Just the word ark, you immediately think of what? Noah's ark. And the ark that Moses was laid in. A thing constructed in order to take those who are found righteous in God and to take them and set them aside and encapsulate them and protect them from judgment or simply from the things of this world. And so you have the ark which cover and surround the law which is contrary to us and instead what we see is the mercy seat sprinkled with the blood of the lamb. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I love it where Scripture says that, you know, the, 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 I always say founding fathers, you know what I mean, like stupid Americans, you know. Um, I, but I, I, I always think of Moses and Aaron and all of these people making this stuff going, I, I you know what I mean? The Bible talks about that they, they never saw the promise fulfilled when God's giving all these prophecies concerning Messiah. They're like, what? I, I, okay. But just being obedient to what God's word said which is another phenomenal testimony for us, isn't it? Not seeing the promise, not knowing what God was even doing, they did what? They simply obeyed him. They simply obeyed what God said and what God spoke as they made these articles. Now we look back 4,000 years later and we go, wow, wow, God knew all along. Uh, Let's see, and verse 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And listen to this in verse 22. And there I will meet with you from the mercy seat. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. And you shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around. And you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs... The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Now, uh, if you want to read up a little bit more on the showbread, you can write this down, Leviticus chapter 24, uh, starting with verse 5. Leviticus 24, 5 to 9. Now, Hebrew tradition tells us that the bread was also perforated, but it was certainly of fine flour, and you guessed it, unleavened, right? Unleavened. Always leaven is for us a picture of sin, and so the bread was fresh, and it was always on the showbread table. Continually, it was replenished and restored and was set there. 
and was set there for, for a testimony. And Jesus Christ is what? The bread come down from heaven. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The manna in the wilderness, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, all this promise, this, this bread. And of course, years later, he would break the bread and he would say, this is my body, which is broken before you. Now, lastly, one interesting thing about the showbread, one of my favorite things about the showbread, not the showbread in and of itself, but the fact that when David was running from Saul, do you remember, he ran into the temple and he ate the showbread. <laughs> he ate the showbread. Now, you're waiting for the lightning to come out of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Like in, the, in, in, in Indiana Jones and consume David. And nothing happens. And it's just this, 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 this weird account. Like, what the heck's wrong with you, David? You run into the, and you eat the, you run in and you eat the, the showbread? And God, how come God didn't smoke him out? And it's not until Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And he tells the Pharisees, don't you remember, as they're judging him over the Sabbath day, don't you remember when David went in? And he ate the showbread. That which was unlawful for him to eat. But what? He had need. David was hungry and he was running. And God was protecting him and God was leading him. And he had need. And he ate the bread which was unlawful for him to eat. And Jesus goes on to tell the Pharisees, man was not made for Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. God meeting you where you're at. God giving you that which you truly, truly need. It's his nature. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Father God, for uh, the examples and the pictures, Lord, uh, that you give us, uh, the types of Christ that we see, Lord, that are for us an assurance um, that that which we believe is real, is true, uh, Lord, and in, in that Christ has fulfilled these things in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your word that instructs us and teaches us and gives us the foundation, Lord, for everything that we believe. Lord, we pray that you would establish these words in our hearts, uh, Lord, and that you would cause us to have hearts towards the kingdom, that we would seek first the kingdom uh, and your righteousness, Lord God, trusting that all the other things will be added to us, Lord, and that you have our need, our, our, uh, what, what our hearts truly need, Father, uh, as your desire, Father. We ask and pray that you would give us hearts of surrender, uh, Lord, that we would seek to give you all uh, of who we are, Father, and that everything that we have and, and everything that's, that's a, a part of our lives that you bless us with, Lord God, would simply be uh, an offering, Lord, to be given back to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray that you bless the food to our bodies, Lord, as we go downstairs and share fellowship and break bread together. We pray, Lord God, that you bless it to our bodies and that you bless our fellowship. And I pray that you'd be with each of my brothers and sisters here as they head out, Lord, and go into their week, Father. I pray that you'd watch over them, that you'd protect them, and that you'd bless them. Lord, I pray that you'd cause your face to shine upon them, that you'd be gracious to them, Lord, and that you'd lead them along your path of righteousness, holiness, and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.